Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Episode 7 of Season 2, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. So our topic for today's episode is, how does God bring comfort to us, really? I mean, how, what are the mechanics of God's intrusion into our struggles and challenges and pains? How does he actually bring comfort to us? And we're going to get at this in a kind of a Hollywoody kind of way, because we're going to get at this through the portal of an interview I did with Sam Worthington, who is the star of the mega—I think it's the top-selling movie of all time, Avatar, James Cameron's movie Avatar. So Sam Worthington was the star of that. He's also the star of the new film The Shack, plays the main character in The Shack. And because we have partnered with Lionsgate to help encourage people to um, see The Shack and talk about it— we got the opportunity to interview Sam Worthington, the star of the film. And uh, he's Australian, but he is not playing an Australian character in the film, so that was one of his challenges, is to overcome that. But it's also a very intense story, and he plays a key role in this intense story. And so I wanted to get at what this journey was like for him as an actor to try to get inside the skin of this character who is trying to understand the goodness of God in the midst of the greatest pain of his life, and how that journey overlapped with his own journey, Sam Worthington's own journey in life. It was a fascinating conversation, and uh, we're going to listen to it in just a minute. But first, I'm Rick. If you're a new listener to the the podcast, I'm author of The Jesus-Centered Life and general editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible. And sitting across from me is the Becky Nader. Hi. And Becky is a master of the in, the whole thing that we do here around Jesus-centered resources. She is she is the one who helps get those resources into your hands, and um, she also prods me to greatness. So <laughs> I don't know if you knew that you prodded me to greatness. It's not an easy job, but it isn't. You know. She really has to raise the water level, which sometimes <laughs> takes a lot of liquid. I don't even know what I'm saying right now, but other than I appreciate Becky, and I'm so glad that uh, we get to do this together. So today we're going to um, uh, take a listen to this interview, and then Becky and I are going to uh, pull out some themes from this and talk about Jesus in relationship to this theme, How Does God Bring Us Comfort? So let's listen to my interview with Sam Worthington. Uh, thank you so much for this, uh, this time this afternoon. Uh, I'm sure you've got uh, lots going on today. And since we have a short time, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just jump into some questions I have for yep. you. Sounds great. Great. So as an actor, um, one of the things I wondered about as I was watching The Shack is how important is it to you that you choose a role that offers you uh, sort of a, a resonant emotional connection to the character. I mean, do you have to have something that's relatable about the character, or is it simply acting? How does that work? Um, I think like it's weird because you, you join onto a movie. When you read it, you don't understand the exploration that you're going to go on. So you're just going off what the story is and, is there something that's interesting in the story or the themes of the story that excite you to go on this journey? Um, and then when you're doing it, you discover the humanity of the person and the deeper you go, the more you kind of, or I start going, you know, discovering what this, who this character is and characters created by action. So what he's doing and what he's doing to other people and getting from other people informs where it takes you. So that's how I look at it. So when you first read this story, I'm curious to know what first attracted you to it. And then when you started getting into this character, as you just described, 
Where did it take you, perhaps, that you didn't expect? Well, I can't. It's weird. With as I said, sometimes you you enjoy the story, and sometimes you choose a project because you go that actor I'd love to work with them, or that director I'd love to work with them. This one, I can't. It was purely visceral. It was I was reading something, going, "Man, I'm getting really choked up here," or you know, I'm getting an emotional reaction that I would never normally get because you can kind of distance yourself. And so then I said, "Yeah, I'd like to do it." And that kind of exploration, which I think is probably because I'd said the words that Mac has said, I've had those arguments in my life. You know, why does God let these things happen? And, you know, a man struggling to let go of, you know, the burden and and that he carries with guilt and grief. And, you know, I've carried my fair share of anger and frustration around with me for years. And it's like, well, how does he learn to let that go? So, what was happening when we were filming, you're on this exploration and realizing, all oh, right, it's, I'm learning the lessons as we go, which not only Mac does, but because you're invested truthfully in it, Sam's learning them too. So, you know, that's, it was a, it was a good kind of marry of where I was at with what the story tells people. So is it possible to, because of what you have to do to inhabit this character is it possible to learn the same things that he learns as you're playing him? I think you learn them more in hindsight um, to kind of uh, analyze what you do when you're filming. I don't really kind of do that. or, or It's not. It's too impossible to do, and let alone discuss it. That's something that I don't like to do. So looking back, when we filmed this two years ago, I think that, yeah, the lessons that he learned did make me kind of go, well, that's great. I can I can gleam a lot from that movie because it's helped me understand the power of forgiveness and then implement that in my own life. But when you're actually in doing it, and that's the last thing you're thinking of. Do you have to, in the case of this film, do you have to have a belief in or relationship with God in order to play this character, do you think? Um, no, I don't think, um, look, I'm not, I, I wasn't born into a religious family. I don't come from a Christian upbringing. I was about 19 when my, a friend of mine gave me a Bible and said, Hey Matt, I think you should read this. It might help you to calm down a bit. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, for the last 21 odd years of my life since then, I've been on an exploration of discovering what is my faith? What is my relationship with God? And how does that help me become a better person? And always go back to the Bible and read different stories and learn lessons from these stories and what their teachings are. And I kind of, you know, travel around the world, go to different churches and realize that it doesn't matter the the culture, the people's faith is always very welcoming. And I'm starting to discover who I am and what my relationship is. And I think in a way that helped Mac because Mac is discovering this new relationship with God in the movie and that he's pushing at and forcing and trying to kind of uncover answers. And in the biggest scheme of things, they're not necessarily answers and God isn't there to give us answers, but there's comfort, there's help, there's guidance. Um, and that's what you kind of learn. And I think anyone doesn't matter if you're religious or not is looking for those, that kind of comfort and guidance in this life because none of us know what the heck we're doing here. <laughs> so, so I mean, the, the, the story is a story about discovering the goodness of God, sort of hiding yeah. behind the curtain of darkness and pain in life. And, and, and as, as you got deeper into this, um, did, did this speak uh, directly or indirectly to some of these same questions in your life? Did you, you mentioned before that it's kind of a universal human question. Who is God and is he good? And how can he be yeah. good if I pay attention to what's going on in my life and around me? Did it help to answer any of that in your life well, at all? I was saying to my friend the other day, I said, Look, I'm, I'm a father of two young kids now. And when, when they're really upset and they're frustrated and they can't get it across to me because they're too young, they don't know how to speak. And they're just so worked up and so lost and angry. And I can give them a hug and that makes them feel better. And I don't have the answers. I don't 
sometimes know, even know why they're so frustrated and lost, I can just be there and hug them. And in a way, when you pray to God, that's what I get from him. He, I don't know, he's not talking to me necessarily. He's not giving me answers, but I feel comfort. And I feel that hug from him. And I wouldn't have even been aware of it, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But now it's like that's something that we're kind of searching for in a relationship to God. And I think that's what helps the movie or the movie helps, which is this, you're not alone. You can't do it alone. And no matter if you feel alone, you're not alone because there's always God. And he's there to help and there to hug. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, and I think about one of the things I think that fascinates people about acting. And it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily that he's out to hurt you. It's that you thought he abandoned you. You thought that he left. He was always there. You just needed to open up more and be comforted by the fact that he's always there. And that's, that's, that's especially true of Mac. That's what she says to him. I was always there for you. I was always there for Missy. You know, just sometimes you've got to go through these hardships in order to you know, build that faith and build that strength. Yeah, I'd say that that's some of the tension of the story too, that Mac uh, continues just as we do. He's, he's kind of a, he's kind of a stand in for us as well because he continues to yeah. want answers to this and and what he gets back I, I love the line in there where you, uh, your character complains to papa and says um stop giving me these kind of quips it's the talking in riddles there yeah, yeah it's yeah. true it's it's it is it's is you know those kind of things and because it can be confusing we we live in a general you know living in a society where we can get everything now <laughs> We want it now. We want it immediately now. We can. We want to be able to Google search it, hit the button, and there's the answer. And often with emotional tragedies in our life, that, that doesn't exist. <laughs> You're not going to get an answer. It's. It's not. The answer is how you deal with it, not necessarily in this is this is how you fix it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something that I definitely. You know, I'm. I'm of the ilk of. I'll make that problem go away. I'll fix it. I can say that to my wife. I'll fix it now. And I've learned it came off the back of doing the movie, which is, well, I may not be able to fix everything and I don't know really what I'm doing and I don't have the answers, but I can be there for you. <laughs> and we can travel through this world together and travel through that pain or grief together. Yeah. Whereas that's, that's a scary concept. <laughs> It is because it means that you're not going to get the answer that you wished for. That's it. The free to get the to have the free will to relinquish control. That's that's the strength. That makes sense. Yeah, and you've mentioned you mentioned the word comfort uh, several times, and 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 uh, it's a, it's an exploration of the film's message, but also in your own life. And I wonder what what you think. What is the practical outcome of comfort? And what is it and why does it matter to us? Because the act, in fact, the whole film hinges on this, that the presence of God means more than the answers of God. And that doesn't sound like a very good trade. <laughs> so what, what is well, the practical outcome of that comfort? Isn't it connectivity? Isn't it understanding that you're not alone? Isn't that, like he says to his daughter at the end, I don't know what I'm doing, but maybe we can do it together. Hmm. So the practicality of, that kind of comfort is in the sense that it may not solve the issues, but it's going to give us this, the, the connection that humans desire, you know, yep. we all, that. we're all born alone and we all die alone is what some people say, <laughs> you know what I mean? And in the middle is this connectivity of humans together and higher, like looking towards the future and God can give you that connection amongst all of us. And help us realize that we're all in it together. That's what I get from it. And that's it. that should be a comforting thought. It shouldn't be scary. It should bring the world together. Good. Let me ask you one more question. Um, the, the other thing that struck me about this film and made me wonder uh, if you as an actor playing this key role in the film, uh, Max wounds from his abusive past color everything in his life, how he sees relationships, including his relationship with God and and one of the one of the questions that hangs in the film and hangs in our lives is, can those wounds really be healed? 
And mm. if so, how, how do they get healed? Uh, the film attempts to answer some of that, uh, but it, it still leaves questions at the end. For you, I, I, playing this character and having to deal with these uh, uh, the, the leftovers of his abusive past, how does that, is that a reality that we can be healed of I, these things? Look, my personal opinion is that you maybe don't get healed from them, but they who you are. They make up you. That's my personal opinion. All your scars and all everything you've gone through is it gives you the result of who you are at that time. So to deny them, to be scared of them, to try to cover them up, why? They make you who you are. So it's okay to embrace them and forgive them. And is there, is, is there a redemptive them. purpose to these these wounds that that uh, that you not just bring to the character, but have come to understand in your own life? Um, redemptive in, in what way? In what way? In meaning that what is ugly is made beautiful somehow in your own life. Well, that's isn't that the you know I don't mean to be glib, but isn't that the kind of the why there's the inclusion of the butterflies? Mm. Butterfly comes from a grub, comes from a caterpillar. And then it searches within and becomes a butterfly. That transformation happens within. And I think, you know, there's that motif is all the way in the book and it's in the movie. And I think, you know, there's there's something in that, I think. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it did. <laughs> Thank you so much uh for this uh for this opportunity to talk with you about this. Um I really appreciate it. No no sweat, Rick. Thank you for your time. All right. Uh, okay, I, I hope the, the film is a is a tremendous success on the level of producing uh, good conversation, which I think it has every opportunity to do. So. Yeah, I believe that too. I hope so too. Rick, we'll see. All right, there you have it, Sam Worthington, uh, and uh, we talked to him just a few a few days ago before this uh, podcast is released. So. The, the film is not yet out, and uh, this this conversation happened in anticipation of that. So, so uh, let's talk about some of the things. There's lots in there that we can uh, land on that would be interesting to talk about relative to our pursuit of Jesus. So, Becky, what's what's something that kind of top of mind that kind of sticks out to you about that conversation? Well, first of all, Rick did such a great job with Sam. I think this is probably going to be one of the most unique um, interviews um, that you have out there because we weren't focused with him on what was it like to be playing with this famous director, that famous actress. Our our pursuit with Sam was was really about his heart, and I I loved everything that he had to say, particularly when he was talking about just realizing that he wasn't alone, that even when he prays and he doesn't hear an answer or he's not sure what he, quite why he's doing it, that he feels God's comfort. He feels his presence and his friendship there. Um, and what a powerful thing that is in his life and how, and also just how forgiveness um, has become something that he wants to give to other people around him and to, and to himself in particular. And particularly the part at the end when you asked him that very pointed question about, you know, can we experience healing? Mm. And his answer to that is one that I would love for Christians and the church to to embrace, which is maybe instead of focusing so much on the healing, we should focus on owning that that's part of who we are and it makes up who we are and that God turns those things into beautiful parts and that we shouldn't have to be ashamed or shy away from them, that we can just embrace them. Um, and how powerful that is if someone shares with with us something that hurt them or, or something that's shameful from their past that we could point out the beauty in it instead of furthering the shame. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, that so this is such a dichotomy for us because we hate pain. Of course we do. Right now sitting here, I really don't want to have any painful thing happen to me the rest of the day. <laughs> and yet we also embrace at the same time, we understand that... Um, through those painful circumstances, as we uh, invite Jesus into those places in us, he does bring beauty, and a beauty that wouldn't otherwise be there without the pain. This is the tension that we live under. I I think about uh, one of the things I just love is how Saul ended up Paul. Mm -hmm. Saul, talk about a guy who has baggage. I mean, we have baggage, but do you have the baggage of knowing that you 
committed conspiracy to murder with uh, people who were following Jesus, and you were so angry at them, you figured out a way to commit conspiracy to murder with these people. That's on your that's that's in your docket. That you have that in your soul that I did that. And here's this guy who's lived a life of persecution and torture and he he's he's centered his whole life around persecuting people. So Jesus sees him, sees this wounded, broken man who's living out his destructiveness in other people's lives in a major way. And what does Jesus do? He knocks him off his donkey and then blinds him and says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? He, he confronts him. Saul is, uh, is waylaid by this whole encounter. He has to recover from it in Simon's house. And along the way, he, he, he kind of gets strong-armed into coming to Jesus. And yet, so let's look at this, just this encounter from a different vantage point. What does Jesus see in him? So Jesus sees in him exactly the kind of guy he needs. He needs a smart, shrewd, learned, perseverant, committed, passionate man who would be able to debate on the highest intellectual level, if need be, but also live out the passion of his convictions to the nth degree. That's the sort of guy that Jesus needs to help plant the church all over the world. He finds him in this broken man, and what Jesus sees in him is all the raw material that he needs for the mission that that is in front of him. And so he finds him, crashes his world down around him, and then lifts him back up and energizes him to go do what he does. So in a way, when you think about these broken places in us, um, as painful as these places are, these are actually the access points, the, the strength points that Jesus sees in us, that I think that he can see us moving into dark places and bringing light because of what he does with these broken places. And that's some of what I think Sam is trying to say at the end, that this motif of the butterflies and the, and the grub become, becomes something beautiful. It all sounds very rhetorical and, and nice, but what if it's actually true? What if our beauty is very much tied to our ugly, um, as long as it's given over to Jesus? And for women, we um, in particular, I talk about this a lot on another podcast, and it's something that I'm very passionate about, is that the meanest person in, in women's lives most of the time is themselves. They mm. Their inner mean girl is the meanest person. And I think that that mean girl can keep us down and say that those bad things about us may, mean that we don't ha- we don't get to live out the, the purpose that we want to. And I, I, I just love how Sam just really was like, we should just embrace those things. We should just say, hey, this is who I am and um, shut our inner mean girl down. <laughs> you know, another another thing that he said very early on in the interview that I forgot until I listened to it again is um, he said, uh, I, I asked him how he got in touch with any resonance with this character, and he said, character is created by action. Hmm. So in order to know the character, you have to study the character's actions, and the actions help you get a picture into the heart of the character. And I thought about, oh, that's exactly fits with our pursuit of Jesus. One of the things I do with these teenagers in my small group and with uh, adult groups I'm involved in, um, I ask them to pay ridiculous attention to the things Jesus says and does so that they can understand his heart. So often we pay attention to the things Jesus says and does to translate them into principles and recipes for life. What if we paid attention to them the same way Sam Worthington pays attention to a character to try to get at that character's heart? What if we paid attention to Jesus that way? So we saw the things that he did as portals into what his heart is like. So when he's lambasting the Pharisees, we don't take from that that we should lambaste hypocrites. Instead, what we take from that is, why is it that what is at the heart of Jesus that he is he is engaging the Pharisees in this very visceral way. He's, he's name-calling them in some cases. What's at his heart? Why would he choose to do this? If everything Jesus does is out of love, then how do we describe his heart toward the Pharisees? He's not losing his temper. 
He's not just blasting them with anger. What's at the core of his heart? We only can understand that when we really pay attention to what he's doing and why he's doing it. We ask ourselves the the same question Sam asks when he's trying to get to know a character. Why is this character doing what he's doing? That's how he gets to the core of that character, and that's how we can get to the core of Jesus as well, reading Jesus that way. You know, one thing that I, I think that uh, we both thought, you know, th- this is this is what we could really camp on from this interview with Sam Worthington is, really, if you think about the takeaway from this, he's really trying to say, what how, what is God's response to our pain and our questions? We have questions when we're in the midst of hard things. Um, all of us do. It's a universal question. God, where are you in the midst of this? What are you doing in the midst of this? Or why didn't you come through in the midst of this? I don't understand. We want answers to that question, and Sam Worthington is trying to reframe what an answer is, and he reframed it as God offers comfort, not answers. In fact, comfort is his answer, and I think in some ways the film is trying to say that as well, that that the offer of God's presence is really the answer to Max's questions about where was God when this terrible thing happened. So I thought we could um, look at this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus entering into a very painful situation, and really pay ridiculous attention to him and uh, what he says and what he does in the midst of this to kind of test out Sam Worthington's hypothesis here. So um, let me go ahead and read this. It's a pretty good chunk. This, is again, is one of those stories. The New Testament is full of stories of Jesus. Not all of them are as detailed as this. And this story is unusual also because... The, the pain that the people in this story are experiencing, um, Jesus had something to do with causing that pain. So it's even a more interesting story to examine what does Jesus do once he sees the pain that people are in. So let's pay some ridiculous attention, slow down, listen to what happens here, and then Becky and I will banter about what we notice here. So this is from John chapter 11, and I'm reading out of the Jesus-centered Bible— which is the, uh, the New Living Translation. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and these are close friends of Jesus, by the way, perhaps his closest friends, these three people. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. Lord, your dear friend. He's not just an acquaintance, he's an intimate friend of Jesus. Hey, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, well, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, well, um, Lord, if he's sleeping... He'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Again, he said that because um, Jesus was in fear for his, uh, you know, was was threatened with his with death the last time he was in Judea. So the disciples are going, you know what, we might, we might die, but let's go with him. So when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, 
If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, He will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Well, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Now Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. Well, they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. I told you, that's a long story. It's a good story, though. Yeah, it's it's. there's so much detail in this, so much that if you're slowing down and paying attention to Jesus, some things just uh, leap uh, leap off in here. I'm, I'm wondering, what, what's something that uh, stuck out to you, Becky? What, what's something? That... Well, overall, I think... When we get consumed in our in our pain and only focusing on that, we forget that there's a bigger purpose and plan for our life. That that sometimes God needs to use our pain to to show something else that is going to further His kingdom. And and if we're really going to be a part of that with Him, then sometimes we're going to get caught in pain. But the other thing was really just you know this is one of those mud puddles of why was He mad? What was he upset about? You know, he he wept for his friend, but he was very irritated through this whole process um, when when people were kind of like frustrated with him or their lack of belief in him. He he was kind of irritated with with them for that. So maybe Rick wants to share some of his well, I mean, let's, delightful let's, insights yeah, into that. Let's go to where you're talking about here. I'm yep. just, just looking here in verse 33. Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. Not like comfort, like, oh, I understand. He was like mad at them. Yeah. If we if we go backwards in this encounter, so Martha comes out to greet Jesus when he comes late, many, much later than they expected. It's not that far. It's not like an enormous inconvenience to come rescue your best friend. And yet he delays on purpose. So when he gets there, only Martha comes out, not Mary. I think I'm just a little passive aggressive. I'm just I'm projecting here, but I think Mary. What we know about Mary from other stories is that she was a very passionate person. She she was not afraid to say what she was thinking, and um, I think she was locked up in anger and grief herself, and didn't even want to see Jesus Mm -hmm. at the start. So Martha comes out, um, and she she basically says, if you had gotten here sooner, maybe you could have done something for my brother. And Jesus tells her, well, you know, your brother will rise again. And, and she's thinking, now you're pandering to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, maybe he'll rise at the end, but that doesn't solve the problem now. Isn't that so much like us? We'll see us? each other in heaven. We say the same things Right. Today. We we say, we, we hate that. When we're in the midst we're of- We're in the midst of pain. Yeah. That's not what you want to hear. We, we don't want to hear that from somebody that it'll all turn out in the end and, oh, your ugly will become a butterfly. And we, <laughs> when we're in the midst of pain, we don't want that kind of thing mm-hmm. because it diminishes the moment for us. It doesn't recognize the moment. And that's what that's what Martha thinks Jesus is doing initially. But then Jesus tells her, you don't understand, Martha, I am the resurrection. The resurrection isn't a day in the future. The resurrection is standing in front of you. He's really saying, I am the fulcrum of all life in the universe. The person standing in front of you is the core of life. I am life. And wherever I go, life follows. So the life that that can bring Lazarus back from the dead is standing here. It's not a magic trick. It's not an incantation. I'm not Harry Potter waving my wand. It's my presence that brings life. So if we backtrack to that, he's saying to Martha, I am the resurrection. And we then we go forward in the story and we see that his anger wells up in him. I mean, what are some possible reasons for his anger? Let's just talk about this for a second. What are some possible reasons for his anger? He usually got irritated, especially with people very close to him who had been with him for a while when they didn't have, uh, when their belief was really small. He could tell that they were doubting, maybe not doubting, but like their belief in in him in totality was was kind of minuscule. Yeah, we can contrast this with um, his reaction to the centurion when the centurion says, "My my servant needs healing." Jesus, can you come? Uh, uh, can you heal my servant? And Jesus says, "Yes, I'll come to your house." And the centurion says, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm, I'm a man under authority too. I understand authority. Just do it. You can do it right here. I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house." And Jesus goes, "Whoa, whoa! Look, everyone, here's a guy who believes and who hasn't been around me very much. Like he right. really hasn't been around me, but he gets it. He gets it already. He gets me. He understands that if I just say the word." Life will result in my servant. So Jesus celebrates the very thing you're talking about, Becky. He celebrates this simple, childlike belief that Jesus is the source of life, and if he says so, life will result. So here he is with his closest friends, and here he shows up, and they don't get the same thing the centurion gets, that wherever Jesus is, there is a source of life. So he could be angry. Again, I think you really well pointed this out. He could be angry that they don't get it. That how, you know, it's like Jesus saying to Philip later later on in John when Jesus says, "Hey everybody, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father." And then Philip goes, "Well, Jesus, would you just show us the Father then?" <laughs> and Jesus says, "Philip, Philip, I'm telling you, I am the reflection of the God that you can't see. I'm trying to get this through to you." So, he's yes, he's God and he's human. And this human part of him can be frustrated that people don't get it, especially those close to him. And then by getting his heart, live out the consequence of that heart, which is what the centurion did. He said, I get you, so I understand what you can do. So if if he had shown up and Martha had said, oh, thank God you're here, Jesus. My brother's been dead for four days. Can you get busy getting him out of the grave? I mean, that would have been a remarkable moment. Like, whoa, you really do get me that I'm the source of life. So he's surrounded by people wailing, and and also he knows that his delay in the, in, in the minds of those gathered there, he could have helped in this situation, and he didn't. So he's also the cause of some of this weeping and gnashing and pain. And, and uh, what we know from this that's true is that um, Jesus is willing to allow us to be in pain. He's, he is clearly willing to let that happen in our lives. He will not rescue us out of every pain. And I think you get some of that sense even from Sam Worthington's, that what, he, what he said in the interview, you know, that if the answer we want is for God to fix our pain, we're going to be sorely disappointed. Yes, he does speak specifically to our pain sometimes, but um, he's actually giving an answer that is quite different than what we've asked for. Well, and what Sam said was that God God answers the, the, our pain with His presence. He He provides comfort 
not by fixing it, but just by being there. And and the same thing with Sam, uh, you know, and, and with his kids, what he realizes is I don't need to fix whatever's going on in their life. I just need to be there with them and be present with them. And that is how God shows up in our lives. He doesn't fix our problems. He's not going to raise everybody from the dead that we have lost. He's not going to fix our pain, but he will be there in the midst of that and provide comfort. Yeah, and if we backtrack to the beginning of this story where Jesus has to be blunt with his disciples and he says, no, 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 I don't, I, I was speaking metaphorically, Lazarus is dead. He's not sleeping, he's dead. And so then he says um, that here's the purpose of that. Uh, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So he's trying, he's trying to say, this will help you if you can believe in me more deeply. It will help you to invite, you, my, invite me deeper into your heart if you will start to believe in who I am. So I'm going to do something that will help that process. I'm going to show you what I can do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you what my presence means, and, it's in, and I'm going to um, risk the pain that I'm bringing into everybody's life so that you will believe in me more deeply and understand the glory of who I really am. And you can see Martha edging her way toward this a little bit, because when he does show up, she says, even now, I know that God will do whatever you ask. She's kind of testing the waters a little bit, just like us. I mean, we're full of doubt and unbelief ourselves, but we kind of edge our way out there and say, Jesus, I, I, I know you could do something about this if you wanted to. We're not quite sure he wants to. Mm-hmm. So that's where Martha goes, and, and uh, then Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again, and she says, I know what you're saying, but what about now? And then Jesus says an interesting thing. He says, um, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? He's surfacing something in her. Not, do you think I can solve your problem, Martha, but do you believe in me? And I think uh, the way, how I connect this to what Sam Worthington said in, in our interview with him is if Jesus's answer to our issues is going to matter, it's going to really be on the plane of do we trust his heart? Do we believe in his heart? That's why, um, you know, the, 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 around here, we say this phrase a lot, which is we're pursuing the heart of Jesus, not his recipes. The reason we say that is right here, what Martha needs to know is not the recipes of Jesus. She needs to affirm the heart of Jesus. He's giving her an opportunity. Do you believe in my heart? And in the midst of our own pain and challenge and difficulty and struggle, this is what it comes down to. It's Jesus saying, can you, in the midst of your pain, trust my heart? Can you give yourself to me and trust your heart to my heart? This is what it really comes down to in the end. And I think what he's trying to do is help people to learn to trust his heart through this whole experience. And he's risking quite a bit in order for them to come to trust his heart. So then what happens in the end is he's angry. He says, where have you put him? He just wants to know where he is. And then he says, roll the stone aside. And he gets pushback, you know, from Martha now. Martha is still, she's not quite there. She's like, but Jesus, if I roll this, if we roll the stone aside, it, it's going to smell. It's going to be terrible. She's a very practical woman. All exactly. In every story, she's very practical. <laughs> but you can you you can have such affection for her in the midst of this because she's so human. She is trying to believe in his heart, but she's also confronted with the reality of this is not going to be good. So she's trying to invest her belief. At the same time, she's trying to recognize what's right in front of her. And then what is Jesus' response? He reminds her of what he said earlier. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Look at how gentle he is with her. Martha, Martha, let's, let's remember here. The issue is, I want you to believe in my heart. Believe in who I am here. I'm giving you another shot at it. Come on, Martha. You can trust me. You know, trust in Jesus is hard because we're broken people. And the, sometimes the hardest thing we can do is trust. 
because of our brokenness. And so Jesus recognizes that, and he gives us multiple opportunities. Even when we're in disbelief, he comes back and says, look, I, I need you to trust my heart. I'm going to do something in your life that will help you to trust my heart. And then he, this is funny, at the end, he looks up to heaven and he does all this. He prays out loud just so people can hear him. He doesn't need to do this, to say any of this out loud, but he does it so that people will know what's going on here. He's trying to let them in on, on uh, the truth of what's co- going on. And so he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Barks him out of the tomb. So I don't even understand the mechanics of this, how a decomposing body can suddenly be brought to life. But we don't understand the mechanics of how Jesus speaks to a fig tree and shrivels it in the moment. We don't understand how he can speak to a storm and calm it. He, he has power over life. And he has power now over death as well, through his crucifixion and resurrection. There is no thing that he does not have power over um, in the end. So back to uh, our interview with Sam Worthington. So the big question is, um, what does comfort look like? Mm-hmm. And what is, how does God answer our deepest questions when we're in the midst of struggle? So if you think about this story and that question, Becky, what, how would you sum up your answer to that? If you were talking to a friend of yours in light of all this who's in pain, um, how might you try to frame uh, what we just pursued here through Sam's interview and through this story? Your pain's a part of your story, and it makes beautiful things eventually. Oh, oh there's eventually. Eventually. <laughs> eventually. We it hate does that. not happen right away. And, um, and God is right there. My friend has this really great story that she talks about when she was going through infertility and she, you know, it it was at, at that point, all of her friends were having kids and she just year after year, she was waiting for God to answer. And she just eventually started to feel like she was sitting on the side of the road and everybody was walking right past her. And Jesus was sitting there with her and he never once promised her that she was going to get on the path and get to walk with everyone else. He never once told her that. But he, what he said is, I'm going to sit right here with you. Hmm. While, and I'm going, to watch, I'm going to watch everyone walking by. I'm, I'm just going to be right here with you the whole entire time. And that is the kind of comfort that we're talking about. And you know what? When, we, when I hear that story, when we stand outside of somebody's story and we hear that story, one of the things I know that goes through us is that's not enough to sit there with you while everyone walks by. That's not enough. But here's the remarkable thing. If you are that person, if you are living the story, the miraculous thing is that when Jesus sits there with you, it is enough. It is enough. You can find enough in his presence. And I can't say that to your story. Um, You have to find that for yourself. You have to invite him into that moment and discover this for yourself. But I know from my own story, as desperately as I have wanted him to, to answer all of my pains in life and come in and fix the, the things that are causing that pain, his answer to me has been to draw near to me, to be intimate with me. And I don't know how this me- the mechanics of this works. All I know is that his presence allows me to move through that pain. And in the end, that pain becomes beauty because he's with me. And something he tells me a lot is... You can do it today. You can do it today. And when I when I just break it down to that, because we could, we're as humans, we just make it all encompassing. And when he just says, "You can do this today," I I calm because I realize I can do this today. And then I do it again tomorrow. Yeah, that's so good. You know, um, I want to encourage everyone who's listening right now. One of the features of the Jesus Centered Bible is something that I I created called uh, Jesus Answers Nine Essential Questions, and we kind of isolated the nine basic human questions in life, and I I tried an experiment. How does Jesus address these nine basic human questions in life? And uh, I found so many places where he addressed these basic questions that I had to limit myself to three times for each question. So I think there's 27 of these little mini-essays in the Jesus-centered Bible in the New Testament part of it, where... I point out how Jesus is answering these nine essential questions. They're it'll, awesome. 
it'll be it, I encourage you to pick up the Bible and just find those find those as an extension of this podcast today find those little mini essays and watch how Jesus engages these basic human questions what does he do to quote unquote answer them it's fascinating um, how, how he does this in a frontal way and I just feel kind of uh, nudged right now Becky before we close here to just for us to just stop and pray for the people who are right now listening to this and saying, I'm in the midst of something, and I still don't think that the answer to my issues right now is simply the presence of Jesus. I just wish he would get me out of this pain. So let's just stop and pray for anyone who's in that place right now, and then we'll close. So in the way we pray is um, we pray in a dependent way. We don't just brainstorm our prayers. We pray in a spirit-dependent way, so we ask right now, uh, Holy Spirit, would you guide us in the way that we should pray for the person in this position right now? And we, we want your insight and input into how we pray right now, so would you guide us as we pray? And Jesus, for that, for that person who's in that place, I know it's a dark and lonely and isolated place. It's a scary place to be. It's a desperate place to be. It's a hungry place to be. You said, you said, eat me and drink me if you want any part of me. You gave us bread and wine as a symbol of what you want us to do, to, to consume you. And I, I ask you now that you would give those people who are um, in this place right now the nudge, the ability to invite you in to eat you and drink you now, and that they'd have the, the urge of courage to take their eyes off the solution to their issue and, and divert their eyes to you and invite you in to, as Becky said, sit by the side of the road with you, even as your pain continues to sit by the side of the road with you. So would you give them the courage and the impetus and the conviction to invite you in right now. And when you get there, Jesus, I, I pray that you bring comfort to them. Jesus, I just heard you prompt me to remind all of us that you promised to give a peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and may we just accept that peace and maybe we just be comforted by that peace. Mm, amen. So, listeners, thanks. Uh, we, we don't take it lightly that you listen. Um, we know that we can't see you and talk to you right now, but this is a conversation. There's something going on in you and, and in response to what we're saying, and we appreciate the conversation. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, uh, also remember that you can find out more information about the things we talked about here today and in further detail on the JesusCenteredLife.com uh, website. You can find the podcast section, and you're going to look for Season 2, Episode 7. And again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.